0: Everything Sequel is brought to you by Slater's fifty fifty and Brew Bar. The Everything Sequel podcast contains explicit language. Because
1: we learned it from you, Dad! Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel podcast... This is the 1990 Singles Edition, Young Guns 2. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. With me is my fantastic partner, Mr. Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. What do you got for me, Tom? I'd rather
0: drink turpentine and piss on a brush fire.
1: <laughs> it's my favorite line in the whole movie. I'm glad you brought it up right away. Well, a close second was...
0: I am New Mexico, and you are dead.
1: <laughs> I knew you would never say, yoo I'll make you famous. <laughs> Is that a line in this movie? Twice. Oh, f- fucks. Three say. times, maybe.
0: I have issues.
1: Today, <laughs> we are talking about the 1990 sequel to the 1988 film, Young Guns. This uh, movie is directed by Jeff Murphy, Tom, who also directed Free Jack.
0: <laughs> oh God! <laughs> do you know? Do you know what happened when you said Free Jack? Let me just. Let me just. You, cause you <laughs> listeners can't see inside my mind, but this is what happened: a giant Mick Jagger. Yeah, <laughs> loomed into my consciousness for a second and then disappeared when you said Free Jack. Perfect. Because that's basically what Free Jack is that about. Is, that, it's a traumatic movie for the amount of Mick Jagger holograms that uh, appear in that movie. No, I do not disagree. <laughs> <laughs> of course he, uh, he directed, also directed... Free Jack. Of course he directed Free Jack.
1: <laughs> he also directed a movie we will talk about at some point, I'm sure, Under Siege 2, Dark Territory.
0: Did uh, he not do Under Siege?
1: No, that's an Andrew Davis movie.
0: Oh, I did not know that.
1: Yeah, that's what he did before... The Fugitive? I think before he got The Fugitive, yeah. That makes sense. That's why the first movie's good. It is, Under Siege Davis. is great.
0: I have not seen Under Siege 2, colon Dark Territory, but we will get that. Oh,
1: you you are in for a treat, my friend. All right, so we talked in the last podcast about Gremlins 2, the new batch, which had like a budget of $50 million, but only made, I think... Forty-one million, or something like that. Mm. This movie made forty-four million dollars on a budget of twenty million. So clearly, it's better, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly, people didn't miss Charlie Sheen. Right. I did, but clearly, the the public at large did not.
1: You missed Charlie Sheen. Oh my
0: God! Yes. I I don't I don't know. I, there's some. this two Estevez is good. One one not good. See, I
1: disagree. I think in these two movies, Young Guns and Young Guns 2, I don't know that Emilio Estevez is ever more fully immersed in a character than he is with this character.
0: Except that the character he's playing, at least in the in the contemporary parts of the film, is Grandpa Simpson. <laughs> Think about it. He's he's the same voice, same look, same glasses. He's telling a story that goes nowhere and is probably not true. Okay, this is one of my first questions for you.
1: I think I already have my answer. Um, How do you feel about the voiceover in this movie?
0: Large swathes of this movie are difficult to understand because the voiceover is the quietest in cinematic history. I I kept turning up my volume to try and hear what the fuck he was saying. And you know, this <laughs> idea that you get quieter as you get older is very strange acting nonsense. Choice, especially for a voiceover. I'll say this though, I thought that makeup looked fucking great. Yeah, it did. It looked it, it was excellent. Um yeah. I just the voiceover is problematic for a number of reasons, but the performance of it is, I think, particularly um, off-putting. Uh, it's yeah, like it, it's it, it, it the the quietness of it underlines the ramblingness of it <laughs> 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 to a point where I just want to go to sleep.
1: Well, I also think it's funny because they abandon it at some point. I can't, I couldn't really pinpoint when they abandoned it. And then it comes in very
0: abruptly at some moments, the point where, wait a minute, is that is that Grandpa Simpson? Yeah, yeah. I, I did but not. I, you know, I mean, at a certain point, I don't think you hear it all the like way until the end. Time and place. They say clearly, it's like, oh shit, we forgot to put the time and date stuff up. Uh, let's just put it up in like two scenes time. I think they just assume they do that with clothing and cars. <laughs> well, no, but the, the like the first flashback... They're like, get, Bradley good... Whitford.
1: Bradley Whitford has got, you know, his 1950s clothes on and his 1950s car. People don't know it's the 50s.
0: Yeah, and, you know, to give the film its credit, I, I did like that. Op- you know, it opens, you know, as the classic... It's the classic Western opening, the Lone Rider, the open plane, the hazy skies, mm-hmm. spaghetti Western style, albeit played by John Bon Jovi music. Um, and then, you know, immediately we see a 1950s car. I like that's good. I, I, I like that. And that for good or bad, that tension between the classic and, and the contemporary is what this movie is based on. Yeah. For good and ill. Mainly ill.
1: Well, and one of my very first notes for this movie was. The first movie seemed very concerned about looking and feeling like a Western. Hmm. And to your point, what you just said, this movie does not feel like it's concerned with that.
0: Well, I didn't know that Pat Garrett had a mullet. (laughs) I didn't know that he had a mullet. ...that his beard grew into to create what I can only describe as a bear mullet. (laughs) A barolet. And were I tweeting about that, I would use the hashtag 80s problems. True. Yeah, I mean... But you know what's strange? It's difficult. I don't know. It's difficult to suspend belief. But you make a good suspend disbelief about this not being the 80s, largely because of the kinds of actors and their looks in this movie. Right. But I, 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 you, you raise a good point, which is that maybe the, the film is trying to trying to shy away from some of the kind of creakier, creakier aspects of the Western that might off-put young audiences.
1: Well, and it, what's funny to me is that...
0: It is called Young Guns, for instance.
1: Yeah, right. In, in its attempt to do that, it feels more accessible than the first movie. Uh, I disagree. Now, I'm. What I mean is, what I mean is, to a general
0: movie-going audience, though. But I think it would. It just make. I actually, I don't agree with that either. I think it will make. It's very off-putting. I think they would. They would have done better trying to reinvent the western by pointing out how exciting everything is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think substituting it with a legal drama. And gunfighters who don't want to be gunfighters anymore is going to interest anyone. <laughs> and people going around saying, well, the frontier isn't the frontier it used to be. It's like, I just want to see people shooting each other. And I'm sure that's what kids want to see. And I don't want to get a lecture every time someone shoots each other. Well, now,
1: so you're, I'm, ta- see, I think what I'm talking about is the look of the movie. Okay. So that's what I mean by accessible. Okay. Okay. The first movie has that sort of dulled color tone. All right. Uh, shots further away. You got lots of close-ups in this movie. Uh, you know the the sort of oversaturated color feeling.
0: Okay, I'll, I'll I'll give you that.
1: Bare ass. So I you know I felt like it was. You know I mean we're we're talking about a director who did Freejack and another sequel Under Siege Two. And to me, it was, you know, they got what they paid for in that. And so I think it was more accessible in that way and how they marketed it and how they want, you know, you got John Bon Jovi singing a contemporary song, but making it trying, you know.
0: Well, that's the other weird thing is that when we go into the past... The movie sounds more like mu- music the the music sounds more like music from the 80s than yeah. it does when we're in the present. but I like that music too I, I... you think that's a deliberate choice or you think it's just like John Bon Jovi can't maintain period non-specific music for too long like he's got to throw a solo in there
1: yeah it's it, it really is hard to say but I made a note that one of the fir- when you see When when brushy Bill Roberts starts explaining who he is to Bradley Whitford and you have that above sort of the sloping plains of New Mexico shot watching horses and the music comes in, I I wrote a note that said, "Ooh, I like that music. Hmm. But I but I also wrote notes later on where I said the music's not working anymore. (laughs)
0: So <laughs> you 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 broke up with the music in the course of the movie yeah, basically. Yeah. But I also kind of We need you about halfway through like we need to John we, we, we need to We we
1: have to talk. But then towards the end of the movie again I was I thought okay it's working for me again. <laughs> so
0: Interesting. I don't know. I mean talk about you know dating a movie. Yeah. They we we, we talked about this with Gremlins and like you know, John Bon Jovi is the Hulk Hogan of this movie in terms of carbon dating it as a movie for from sure. 1990. Absolutely. So but let me ask you this talking about.
1: I not not talking about what works and what doesn't, but I, I am I was genuinely baffled with. <laughs> the list of people in this movie that we know. The talent in this movie. I mean,
0: it's... Oh, yeah. That's a. That's very distracting, isn't it?
1: It's endless. It's... I mean, you got James... You know, put aside that you have Emilio Estevez and Kiefer Sutherland and Lou Diamond Phillips, and now you add Christian Slater, and you add William Peterson, and I'm a big William Peterson fan.
0: Me too. I think he does a great job here. And
1: I, lo- I, I really like it. I love him in this movie but you have Alan Ruck and you have James Coburn and you have Balthazar Getty and Vigo Mortensen and Bradley Whitford, Scott Wilson from The Walking Dead fame. I, you know, the number of people where you go, oh, man, that person was in this movie, I forgot.
0: Oh, 100%. Um, at times, you know, to say it's the saving grace of, of the movie is really an understatement. When James Coburn turned up in this movie... I have never breathed a deeper sigh of relief in my life, <laughs> and he de- he delivered in those few minutes he is on screen. He delivered. I-, I mean, obviously, I like the callback to movie history in that he was Pat Garrett in Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Right, and Pat, right. In Pat Garrett, and Billy, yeah. And he's the you know in in here he's the guy who ha- who turned. And he also has the same Pat line Garrett as a sheriff, so that's beautiful anyway
1: and he has like a new version of the same line about taking the money and stuffing it up your ass and lighting it on fire
0: yeah and and you know there's a moment where (laughs) one pat garrett leaves and another comes on screen um (laughs) it's, it's nicely done and you know he he just kills it for those few moments he's on screen you can suspend disbelief that you're in a really good western for a few minutes um and i got i got that kind of that kind of relief from a few of the actors on screen, Scott Wilson, who oh, I always love to see, um, yeah. Kiefer Sutherland, who I think, is you know, it's this is before we knew what he was capable of. I think this is before we knew he was capable of a kind of Jack Bauer sort of character. But I, 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 to me, he's like the. I mean, it helps that he's the one who's kind of somehow grown. From yeah. what he was in the original movie and we're seeing him question and criticize. He's now, yeah, he's a reluctant antihero. Life. But uh but I enjoyed I enjoyed him talking back to the Billy the kid when he says, you know, you drove an 15 year old into his grave. That was that was a great a great acting moment. Right. Well, so
1: we talked in the introductory episode, the mini sode rather, and I talked about wrestling with this movie, and I talked about the, you know, we were talking about the difference between a movie and a film. You know, is there a difference between those two things? Because, look, this isn't a good movie.
0: Didn't you say it was a good movie? I did. (laughs) I, I don't know what how to argue for or against that. <laughs>
1: you just shut your mouth for a second <laughs> and listen up. This is not a good movie, but it's a good movie. I don't. I, I, there's no explanation. Oh well, that clears it up. Yeah, I, I, I. There's. I think more than anything that this movie has going for it, which I suspect you're going to actually disagree with. But I think most of the performances in this movie are good and that makes the movie engaging and therefore makes the movie good. But I also find myself constantly lamenting as I watch this movie, the missed opportunities.
0: I don't think the performances are bad by any means. I don't think and we've seen this before with another stakeout. I don't think asking Emilia West of to carry a movie is is generally a good idea. <laughs> And I would have liked... I would have liked less of the movie to rest so much on his shoulders. I... But... But... I think I, I,
1: think I disagree with you uh, because I like his performance in this movie. I wish he was given a little more to do. Now, whether or not he could have parlayed being given more into doing more, I will never know. Um, But... Like I said before, I think he's fully immersed in this character. I think he totally gets William H. Bonney. I think he is. Bill- when I think of Billy the Kid, I now think of Emilio Estevez.
0: I still think of Paul Newman, and I don't think that's going to change. Um, <laughs> uh, but I agree. I definitely agree with the fact it's 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 what they're given to do that is the problem. Um, Lou Diamond Phillips is a great example of that because, you know, when you think about this this you know uh, this native american character this is quite this is like a breakthrough role both actor and character Mm -hmm. but in terms of what he's given to do in this movie and i don't remember what he had to do in the first film he's just there to dispense wisdom yeah he's he's there for next to nothing which is we now look back and say you know there's a kind of whole history of Native American characters who right. do nothing but talk in, like, aphorisms. Um, and that's kind of what it is here, and then he dies and and turns into the TriStar logo. Yeah, <laughs> I was just gonna say. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but I, I don't hold that against Lou Diamond Phillips, um, and no. Keith Sutherland, I think, has more, more character to do. development yeah. written into his tar- so he's riffing on that and he does well with that. Some great cameos in in the movie, but it it just it doesn't um, it doesn't gel at all for me. But you know, it's it's kind of it's pretty inoffensive. I didn't big right. grudge. Spending
1: at the end of the movie, I don't think the thought in my head isn't that was a waste of my time.
0: I, I always did kind of, I did I, I always mean, think I, referred...
1: I enjoyed that.
0: I, I, I sort of... I resented the fact that the film was always telling me that I shouldn't be enjoying this film because it's a Western. I feel like that was a that was a big mistake, that it's constantly it's like saying, well, violence is wrong and racism is wrong. And it's like, yeah, but then don't do a Western. Right. Because yeah. those are the two big... Those are the two big things I want in a Western. racism and violence. Um... Yeah, so I was a little bit like, stop telling me that, you know, that violence is wrong and that kids are gonna, you know, it's like, or at least do it better than this, you
1: know, like, I've just... Well, that'll be my main point. Let's, we're gonna take a break and then I want to talk about where I think they could have gone. We'll talk about that when we come back and, uh, you know, stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Look, people, we're living in strange times. We know that, don't we? Of course we do. People don't even know what to do with themselves. We're getting stir-crazy. Well, get outside and get yourself some great food, I say. You need to go to Slater's 50-50 and Point Loma's Liberty Station. It's time to treat yourself to booze, to beer, to burgers, and more. They have their full menu, people. Their full menu, I say. How many restaurants do you know that are doing that? Most places are doing a quarter of their menu, probably. Some might be doing a half. Maybe a few have got three quarters of a menu. But Slater's 50-50 has their full menu, including their signature 50-50 patty. It's half ground beef. It's half ground bacon. It's 100% delicious. What more could you possibly ask? Worried about social distancing? Well, it is in place, people. Tables are separated, and the staff will always be seen wearing masks. You're out of excuses. Get off your keister and come on down to Liberty Station's own Slater's Fifty Fifty. Indoor dining available. Outdoor dining available. Bring the family. Bring your dog. Come enjoy the normal again. Good day to you. I said good day. And we're back. We are here. Tom and I are talking about the 1990 Young Guns 2 sequel directed by Jeff Murphy. Uh, Tom, when we left, we were talking about what works, what doesn't work. I think generally we both like the actors, but we wish they had more to do. Yeah, that's fun. And to me, I, I I think it's really fascinating. The fascinating thing to me about this movie is... There are things in the movie at play that I think are great, but are not explored enough. So to me, this movie is mostly about betrayal. Um, there's not enough of that.
0: One would think, given what happens in it, yes. Right. So you have this idea of Garrett
1: betraying Billy the Kid. It's problematic, however, that in real life they did not know each other that well. (laughs) They never rode together. They never were criminals together. Mm. That's all invented for the sake of the movie. But I can get on board with that if you take the next step. And it's alluded to in the movie, but there's not enough character arc for Billy the Kid because he is betraying everybody in his gang For the sake of his own name and for the sake of staying in New Mexico, all of that is really interesting to me. And you even have great moments where Kiefer Sutherland does take a gun, a rifle, and points it right in his face and does state directly that this is all just for you. But there's something in the writing and there's something in the directing where you could have... Focused on that more, and I think this would have been a far more interesting movie.
0: Yeah, and I think any you know, there's also some there's racial tension right. between Christian Slater and Lou Diamond Phillips. I think and none of this goes anywhere. And I think the big problem is like it's it is the you said it, it's this lack of focus. They basically the fact that two members of the gang are fighting is somewhat undercut by the fact that they're always all fighting with each other with zero explanation as to why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And this was one of the moments where I was like, have these kind of character dynamics already been set up in the first movie and this is why I'm missing why they're fighting each other right now? Right. (laughs) Um, And possibly not. Likewise, what is actually a good moment in the film for different reasons when... A lynch mob turns up. That is Billy the Kid in disguise. Right. Uh, I've got a lot to say about the lynch mobs in these movies. I have a lot of questions. Um, they're they're okay. wearing what look like kind of proto clan hoods. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, or so I'm like, or, oh, so making you know but, the lynching as a racial thing. That's interesting. But it could,
1: it could also be first mask of Mike or not Michael Myers, but uh,
0: Jason Voorhees. <laughs> Could be that Tom <laughs> the the potato the potato sack that he wears for a whole movie. There you go. Um, <laughs> we should replace <laughs> that with something. How about a hockey you mask? You know, something less shitty. Something <laughs> something that, that we won't re- instantly <laughs> replace because it's wrong. Um, yeah, and I, so I thought, oh, that's making a thing. And then the fact that it's Billy the Kid under there, it's like, well, now I don't know what the point was. Likewise, later on, and this is not related. I just wanted to bring it up. Later in the movie, the lynch mob are dressed like the Claude Rains as the Invisible Man. And yeah, I'm like Was right. there historical research for this, or did they just make it up? I spent most of the movie thinking those exact two questions. Um, I and In terms of missed opportunities, <laughs> this movie has the most interesting afterword I have ever seen. <laughs> what they tell us happens to these characters after the movie is over sounds fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. It, te- it, it passes off in, in a tiny piece of text that lasts two seconds on screen that the Bradley Whitford character uh, eventually appealed for, the, for Billy the Kid's pardon, if this guy really is Billy the Kid, which is another mystery that I was assuming this movie would answer. And then it says, no, we don't really know, which is not good enough.
1: He was uh, discounted, but maybe, in fact, Tom, I have a note that says, I don't know when it was, uh, maybe it was around 19, anyway, they, they found two experts that are experts at facial recognition, and they took photos of Billy the Kid and Brushy Bill Roberts, and said that Brushy Bill Roberts was a 93% match.
0: See, that's interesting. For for William H. Bonney. That's That's interesting. Um, and then, and then it says, it just passes off as if this is something, as if this is too interesting for this movie, that he died, oh, a few months later.
1: In Texas.
0: In Texas. And
1: as he's walking away, I think to myself, how the fuck did that old man get to Texas? I mean,
0: if, (laughs) I don't know if Oliver Stone saw this movie, but like, he'd be like, Cover up conspiracy. <laughs> I don't care that he's been discredited. I made a whole movie about Jim Garrison, right, yeah. and he talks shit. Um, so I was just like, I was just like, <laughs> oh, I'd love it if all of this was the movie. Uh, even and you know, one of the most underdeveloped things for me, which is one of the most interesting aspects, and and Clint Eastwood proved it in Unforgiven two years later, was they they start with this subplot about pat Mm -hmm. garrett recording his experiences through a journalist friend which is exactly what happens in unforgiven right except that in unforgiven they talk about the differences between western mythology self-aggrandizing mythology and real history correct um but here they They don't make that distinction, nor do they tell us anything, except at one point William Peterson leads over and says, what I presume, having not checked, is a line from the book, and says, like, write that down. It's like, that's not how this works, okay? That's not how writing a book works. It's like, well, I'm just going (laughs) to write down what he says and then put ands and ifs between it. I mean, it's not how it works. So that's really underdeveloped, and it's all for the sake of a joke about him going, taking a shit every few hours.
1: Right, which is, by the way, the line I thought you'd say. I thought you'd say, "I need a moment." What is it?
0: I mean, we we we've already watched Back to the Future three, which is set in a similar historical period, and there's a lot of shit and piss and jokes came out the same year. Westerns in nineteen ninety. Yeah. I don't know this was a thing the audiences love to see, apparently Horse they... shit and people shit.
1: Well, and two years later, for Unforgiven, you know, one guy gets killed on the shitter, so
0: well, that's right. I thought that's where we were going in the outhouse sequence, but it's just just Billy the Kid hijinks.
1: yeah, he's just being sassy You're a little scamp <laughs> i I also have a note here when um when Billy the Kid kills Bob mm. with the shotgun filled with 18 dimes. And he says, hello, Bob. Mm -hmm. Goodbye, Bob. Best dollar 80 I ever spent. (laughs) Uh, I don't know about the latter part, but apparently the hello, Bob is historically accurate. There are different accounts that maybe he said something else, but most accounts say he did say hello, Bob, and then shot Bob.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm all with the project of like rewriting Western history and reclaiming forgotten people in that history which is you know a noble project that this movie at least starts yeah um but if this is so historically accurate then why is john fusco getting character credit for the characters <laughs> right and why and why at the end of the movie is that fictional disclaimer still there true like all the <laughs> it's like it's like it's like—is your history really that good? If it was that good, wouldn't you need to have the well? That's one of my notes for this movie. To people living or dead—I don't right. Know. I don't know how that works. That's one of my but notes. It was a bit of a red flag.
1: Is what I find interesting about this movie is—you know, Young Guns—the first movie ends. I—I I, I think it's—is it like text written over the screen? But they kind of explain what happens to Billy the Kid. <laughs> You know, even though it doesn't end with him getting shot, it's Oh, interesting. Known. So
0: this is a sequel inversion.
1: Yeah, so, it, you know, it makes it feel like that this movie's unnecessary. And there's a lot of things that are, you know, that are not true. Um, Doc Scurlock and Chavez, they both lived through this <laughs> in real life. They both, they died as old men in the late 20s, I think.
0: So they, they put, so... Okay, a couple of things here. So they they they've got that framework of it's kind of like the big fish idea it's. Right, yeah. He's telling a story that may or may not be true so we can say whatever we want. Mhm. Added to that is and this makes me like the film more, not enough to say it's a good movie, but that they're going against the grain of young guns. Yeah. Like what young gun said happens to the character they flip that on its head in the first few moments of this movie am i right in thinking that i think so yeah well that's yeah i think those two things we're uh, well, not the big fish thing but um uh, i get. i guess it gives them deniability to be like well he was just talking bullshit or all this stuff is real we don't know mm-hmm no, it's, it makes it more interesting. It's more interesting than I thought it was. I'll tell you what is interesting. Twenty minutes ago, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you what's
1: interesting to me is that whenever these characters get in trouble, and they're spending a good portion of this movie apparently trying to get to Mexico along the <laughs> old Mexico, old Mexico along the broken uh, is it Blackbird Trail
0: the blackbird trail yeah but they
1: keep which ending is a myth, they, right but they, they keep ending up at the same is it fort sumner they keep going back to that same fort where they know everybody knows that, that they will be there stop
0: going there i mean it it takes 30 whole minutes right so this this another kind of sequel this is is the getting the getting the band back together sequel. yes right right They all start off. They're all in separate different places. Different places. We have to bring them together. Thirty minutes into the movie, we're finally the gang is reunited. So that's already a big problem. In that, it takes us thirty minutes. From a
1: narrative standpoint,
0: yeah. The 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 fact that when we get there, there's no clear sense of where they're going or what they're doing is just compounds that. Like we've wasted thirty minutes, and we're still not really. This is a like you said, this is a pursuit movie. Uh, where it's really easy for the person pursuing them to find to them. to find them exactly they're not really going anywhere. Right. Uh, I don't know, but then I don't. I don't know if that is like another. Just they just fudged. Trying to make that interesting and saying. Oh well, Mexico is the place, you know, is this utopia that we can escape to, but it doesn't really exist. And we, you know, the Western maps are all bullshit. I don't know if that's the point they're making. Mm -hmm. Could be, but it doesn't come across strongly enough. Yeah, as it as it would later in Unforgiven, where it's like every myth is egregious bullshit. Yeah,
1: it's just complete nonsense.
0: Yeah. Well, he can't even. Will money can't even separate pigs. Yeah, right. <laughs> you keep those hearts separated. That's a great Clint. <laughs> uh, I, I, can you imagine what the studio thought? It's like, yeah, Clint Eastwood. I know it's not the movie we're talking about, but I want to talk about it anyway. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, Clint Eastwood, great. Clint Eastwood Weston, he's doing what for the first 20 minutes of the movie? Separating pigs. Okay, just that, nothing else. <laughs> it's like, uh, hey, chopping a little wood. <laughs> But not, in, but not in a cool way. Well, he's also
1: pulling out shotguns and pistols and trying to shoot cans, but he misses them. Like, you imagine them, he explains, well, he's also going to pull out shotguns and pistols and start, you know, practicing. Yeah. He's going to be shooting cans. And they're like, oh, that sounds great. Well, he's going to miss them,
0: though. <laughs> he's going to miss them. It's like, does he ever get get good at, at, at gunfighting? Not really. <laughs> no, he's had his day. Not until he gets drunk. He's had his day. His sidekick is blind, and uh, Morgan Freeman's wasted. <laughs> All right, uh, we're veering a little off course, <laughs> which doesn't bode
1: well for Young Guns too. I might have to change that's, my mind that's here. That's guns
0: we're talking about. Yeah,
1: right. Uh, let's. We're gonna take another break, and when we come back, we'll try to stay on topic, everybody, and we'll continue <laughs> talking about Young Guns too, and we'll try to <laughs> n- not veer off onto the Unforgiven. Um, track of land let's talk about Rio Bravo (laughs) stay tuned we'll be back after this
0: if you're anything like me you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine whichever way you fall brew bar has you covered Located in the heart of Third Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods, Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place and let me tell you listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company, so will you. They turn me on to pour over and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brew Bar. It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, you might even see me.
1: We're back. Tom and I were just discussing. I was saying I'm talking myself out of this being a good movie. And he said, you're almost talking me into this being a good movie.
0: We save the best conversations for when we're not recording. Yeah,
1: always.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I think we're starting to meet in the middle. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a middle of the road movie. You could sort of fall on either side of the debate, I think. It is. It's one of those
1: classic, it's not good, it's not bad. You know it's somewhere in between, and if you like these young actors, then you'll probably like the movie. If you like westerns, you'll probably like the movie.
0: My God, let's not go crazy. I like west. Well, I, I like westerns. I don't like this movie. <laughs> but you almost do, based on my argument. If you've only seen like *The Quick and the Dead*, you'll probably like this movie. <laughs> That's not a slide against *Quick* and *The Dead*, but you know, like if you have a superficial understanding of what a western is, then this is okay. this is gonna look like the man who shot Liberty balance to you. I, I was just gonna say, are are you
1: are you telling me that *Quick*? We're already veering off on other Sorry. movies again.
0: <laughs> How, <laughs> How many uh, westerns sh- can I reference? Damn it! That are not Bring it back! Bring two. it back!
1: Bring it back! Shut the fuck <laughs> up! We're actually talking about young guns too. Oh my god! All right. Let me ask you this. Yeah. One thing that I find really interesting about this movie is it has in in kind of bad movie form. Yeah. It ha- it has this thing throughout it where everybody knows everybody in this movie. <laughs> You're so right. You're so right. They all call each other by their first names. They all know the horror who runs the whorehouse with red hair, Jane.
0: They all know James Coburn, you know. You, you're you're dead on about that, and it's definitely a bad movie thing. It's also a sequel thing. Uh, it's like, it's indicating, sometimes erroneously, to an audience who has not seen the original movie that these characters know each other. hmm And often they don't. I mean, we had this with... I, I, I spent the whole of another 48 hours thinking that... Right, <laughs> yeah that t- two separate characters who were not in the original movie were were prominently featured um, where we started talking about Jane the character of Jane yeah and I found it interesting that it was like an hour in, over an hour into the movie that we saw really the first significant female character.
1: I made the same note that we do not see a woman in this movie, and she's really the only woman. She is, yeah, in Real, the whole movie, essentially, yeah. But this movie is without females, essentially. And I thought I wrote a note that said, "Man, what a dick show
0: this movie is." <laughs> and there's a couple of things about that. The first is that. Also, like the first African American turns up in the same scene, so Jeff Murphy's probably like, "Let's just do it all. Let's do all the minority shit in one scene." Right? Yeah. I haven't got time for this shit. You know, Mick Jagger keeps calling me. I'm busy. Um, I'm in development for another movie. <laughs> I gotta yes. get.
1: I'm working on getting Mick.
0: I want to be a hologram. <laughs> yeah. So, so that that was the thing. And then the thing is like. Not only do have we not seen a woman yet, but within a scene, she's completely naked. Yeah. So how do you have one woman in the movie and also nudity? As, I mean, also, well, we've already talked a little about the the afterword for the movie. Mm-hmm. Directly prior to that is, and this has got to be a red flag, whatever, ki- for any kind of movie... We have a montage recap of the movie we've just seen. Not yeah. Young Guns.
1: All yeah. <laughs> right.
0: Not Young Guns and Young Guns 2, just Young Guns 2. Ugh. In which one of the highlights of the movie in this highlight reel is her naked again. Yeah. So in some way, I mean, it is unnervingly efficient because it's going, you know, we've got our woman, we've got our nudity. We've got our diversity, and we've done it all in the same scene.
1: It's uh, Mo- morally abhorrent, but right. I was just gonna say it's. It, but you know, it's problematic. Crafty. <laughs> crafty, It's crafty, morally abhorrent.
0: Yeah, it's I, I, it's it's, cra- it's, I don't it's, think this is a an, word, but it's craftily
1: morally abhorrent.
0: Yeah, so that is. Strange, to say the least. Um, Yet, I, like I said, like what, you do, know, what do you what do you think is it? A, here's a question for you: Is it a worse crime to re to have to repeat material from a prior film in a sequel, okay, or to recap your own movie? Like, what is worse?
1: Oh man, that's a good
0: question. Like. You know, <laughs> what's the bigger crime, cinematically? <laughs> right.
1: I would I would say going back to the prior movie
0: that bothers me more. That's my feeling too. Yeah. Um. But there is something, you know. Is it just because they didn't want to confuse people? I don't.
1: know. I like were like how could if they saw Charlie Sheen they'd be like.
0: Where's Charlie Sheen? That's right. Charlie Sheen isn't in this movie. And we don't have Jack Palance. Why are you showing Charlie Sheen? He wasn't in this movie. Who's the other? There's another big actor, isn't there, that's missing. There's a couple of them.
1: Well, you get Terrence Stamp, Jack Palance. Terrence Stamp. Yeah. Um, So I wonder if, if that's at stake. But I was getting the... But there's something in this series because, you know, the guys who die at the end of the first Young Guns in real life, they didn't actually die. Yeah. Skurlock and Chavez die in this movie. They didn't die until they were old men in real life. I mean, you know, they take lots of liberties. And if, you know, like you said earlier, if it's in the purpose of doing something more interesting with your sequel, then, hey, great. But it reveals itself to be, I don't know, I I was going to say stupid, but so when you have those, uh, this is what happened to Arkansas Dave Rudavaugh, yeah. moment at the end of the movie where they're recapping you want you, i found i find myself saying oh what happened to doc oh that's right he's dead what happened to chavez oh that's right he's dead so you won't have one of these great little frozen moments in time from the movie
0: about the characters you want to have them for <laughs> that's entirely true that's entirely accurate yeah but it's but it's also you know it, it's it's Making it look as if we should have been focusing on those characters because they seem so interesting. Yeah,
1: they're more interesting.
0: Uh, they've got more of a life around them. Or
1: well, at least Skurlock does. We spoke to Chavez and the lack of, you know, him being given anything to do in this movie, which is regrettable.
0: What do you? I mean, we're talking about how how the movie winds up. Did you get the sense that that um, the kind of shootout? happened too early in this movie the scene in which everyone gets in the little abandoned hut yeah right which you know you, you mentioned Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in a previous episode and I was like this feels like the ending of that right but the movie goes on for about another 20 minutes
1: and, and is completely less satisfying and that's one of the problems I have with this movie is we were talking earlier about the missed opportunities. And I think there was something really interesting within the idea of the line. I shall finish the game. Because if you, if you put, if you put that onto Billy, the kid that he considers all of this, a game at the cost of killing his friends. Yeah. He would become a far more interesting character. You know, and if that's the moment where he's willing to sacrifice everyone for to escape himself, that would have been more, more interesting.
0: Now, the way you're explaining that to me now is both interesting and not clear in the movie. Right. That's my problem. It's <laughs> these ideas are are present in the movie,
1: but they're never fully taken on, they're never come to
0: fruition in a way that's satisfying. Well, they certainly say I shall finish the game many, many times.
1: Many times, sure.
0: But I I don't I didn't think I I don't think I made a note of it, but I was like what is this game they keep talking about? <laughs> Did they start um, like, playing a game of chess in the first movie and this is the continuation? Like w- w- what are they talking about? No, it's
1: just that sort of parable, the little story that Billy the kid tells
0: Right. go
1: lock you know but I don't know
0: what it meant in the context and the 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 third man says I shall finish the game
1: right that's what I want for this movie and so I always do lament that the movie didn't go to these places and yet when I finish it I forgive it for it and think I had a good time Hmm. I don't know if there's anything left for me to say on the subject Uh, of Young Guns 2 I I
0: agree with it apart from the last part sorry I agree with you apart from the last part. <laughs> Clearly. No, I didn't have a good time. I, I do, uh, does the first movie explain why they broke up? I don't remember. No. I think
1: there I think there's like a little a little script at the end of the movie. Yeah. I could I could be completely wrong.
0: I I mean, kind of explaining what happens after. I don't want to go too far back, but I as an early point in the movie, I was like, "Is this going to be a courtroom drama?" (laughs) Right, because we have a lot of legalese. Very early on, we're talking about states evidence and testifying, which I don't even think were terms back then. Oh, I I I didn't give states
1: evidence. That did not. Whether or not they were actually terms did not enter my consciousness. But what I also... See, this is one of those things that bothers me because I still think, think... I think within that there's an interesting idea in the sense of Billy the Kid, no matter how much terrible shit he's done, if for the character in his mind, if he agreed to testify against the man who murdered his boss and the man who first treated him like a real human being there's something
0: interesting in that yeah and the fact that both he and pat garrett at different times the movie are on both sides of the law yeah it's nice but you know um i mean this was a thing in uh the, the, the pirates of the caribbean movies as they went on there were so many deals going on between people at one point, I was just like... Right,
1: and backstabbing and... Yeah, it's like,
0: it's like this is like being, you know, this is like a, a you know, lawyers negotiating with each other. Right. And it kind of felt well, so... a little, I mean, it opened up more than, I'm grateful it opened up more than I thought it would. I thought we were actually going to go into a courtroom. Um, because <laughs> right. we were, cause most of the first half of the movie is indoors, which is worrying for a Western. True. So I'm glad it moved away from that. Uh, I wasn't happy about falling down the hill in slow motion to a Bon Jovi guitar solo. Really
1: bad, really bad in the sense of letting the audience know how that happens and it's not directed well.
0: Yeah, it's like all the bad things of this movie and of the 80s as a decade. Yeah. In a minute of screen time. Uh, Which again, efficient.
1: It's just you know. It's just it, specifically speaking to the horses. You know, this. If you if you take your horse over the side of a cliff, and you're thrown from your horse, like show me at least one person who breaks
0: his arm or leg. Well, it's the A team, you know the 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 <laughs> the the kind of the A team paradox of you get up and dust yourself <laughs> off
1: and and go. The only good part to me in that whole sequence is when Pat Garrett shows up and says, Jesus Christ, even their horses are crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great line. <laughs> you know, that's fantastic.
0: Yeah. it.
1: What about the two additions in this movie of Christian Slater and William Peterson?
0: Um, I think William Peterson is terrific. I think he's great. I think, obviously, I mean, it, it, it's not... You know, he's playing both a historical personage and someone who's been played by James Coburn. Mm-hmm. And I think he stands up to that, you know, and he's certainly different enough from, uh, and I've from never... Coburn to make it work. Yeah. And he's, you know, they they literally pass the gauntlet at one point where he gives him the sheriff's badge and that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know I I believe whatever he's putting out there into the world. His his hair is distracting. We've talked about that the beard. Right. Uh He looks like he loses about two st- You know, like I don't know, like two hundred pounds when he shaves. <laughs> uh, so I I think it's fine. I mean, and Christian Slater Christian Slater is good, but he's giving us early nineties Christian Slater. Well, he was the It Boy then, so... I mean, they put this kid in everything. He turns up in Star Trek at one point. Yeah. For no reason.
1: Just because he was um, a fan.
0: But I had the same feel we've, the feeling that we've talked about. It's like, and Christian Slater? <laughs> and Balthazar Getty? You know, um, and it, it's... I mean, they wouldn't know at that time that these actors would still be... You know, uh, working. working and viable and great, or yeah, yeah. Um, same with Vigo Mortensen. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, it doesn't he play a pretty similar role in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? Like this, the annoying gang member, he really nailed that persona. Yeah, the annoying, unreliable. Uh, gang member who talks like a young Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, think, I think they're fine. I, I, like I said, I like I the fact that he was a racist and that they played with that a little bit, but it kind of gets lost in the mix. Yeah. I agree. Um, at least I like I the character, we, you know, but I,
1: again, it's sort of this idea of, you know, you're spread yourself thin and you don't have much to do with them.
0: Yeah. And we got a lot of characters to deal with in a very short amount of screen time um pat garrett kind of has the clearest storyline i suppose yeah for sure because you know you see a but big you also character you, change you, which is you know but you give represented by shaving right as, as <laughs> do. yeah but you give up that storyline
1: by supposing that he doesn't kill him and that he lives you know
0: if you and then if you want to make that arc that back a little yeah bit if you want to make that afterward.
1: arc the most interesting it can be he has to kill him
0: but yeah, but did, did he, he let him go? Steals and then, his horse. I mean, the, the again, the the, the afterword is, is delightful in that it looks like a more interesting movie than we've seen. But it's also like, oh, I didn't know that he was supposed to be an unreliable narrator. Yeah, right. I would have watched this movie very differently if you'd have told me that at the very beginning. <laughs> gives you no clue. Except for the fact that he sounds like Grandpa Simpson. It gives you no clue that, that this guy is talking... Potentially talking shit.
1: I'll tell you, I'm, um, I'm on the fence now. There's, there are so many problems with this movie, but I still contend that when I finish this movie, I think that was fun. You clearly have a different mindset. You want I? You want the last I, word on this? The last word on
0: this is had Unforgiven not come along, because <laughs> <laughs> the word on this is we talk about another movie. Had had Unforgiven and a bunch of actually pretty good westerns that have the same project come up, not come along or after and before this, it would have looked a lot more, a lot better, and a lot more progressive. As it is, it's
1: middling, uh, l- low to middling. All right, <laughs> you have to undercut me at every at every turn, don't you? No, I don't. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, tell us what you think of Young Guns Two. We're not even sure ourselves at the at the end of this conversation.
0: I think. Well, it is it. It's a it's definitely a um, a good barometer. Yeah. For 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 good and bad, I think I think you could. It will swing back and forth along the line of good and bad. Right
1: it's that idea of movie versus film good versus bad what what the fuck is this movie
0: you you tell us yeah I mean you know how average is average does average mean bad? does average mean good?
1: Right ladies and gentlemen, find us on Facebook find us on Twitter and find us on Instagram send us an email at or at everything sequel at Gmail <laughs> and uh, tell us what you think. We're interested to know and you might find your comments. Read to you on air. For Tom Stewart, my name is Michael Schantz. This has been um, painful and and wonderful. Thank you, Tom.
0: Hasta la vista. (laughs)
1: Nice. (laughs) Until next time, everybody.